Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Forgiveness, very big topic that I keep revisiting with all my teachers as it is absolutely crucial to let go of what happened in our past so that we don't stain what we attract for our future. And without forgiveness, letting go of the past is not possible. We will discuss, Shamit and I, everything possible for us and available to reach that stage of true and authentic forgiveness, as it is very difficult to forgive when we are extremely hurt. I hope you will enjoy this conversation that I'm having with Shamit Mitter today. Thank you. It's so good to be Monday morning. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Good to I see you. I love Monday morning. It's so good to see you, honestly. I don't know if you know how it's important it is to me, the Monday morning, starting the week like that. It's been saving me for years. <laughs> how did we choose Monday? I don't know. I have no idea. It just it's became great. like that. And it's a very good way to start the week. So it's it's wonderful. It's amazing. Amazing. So Shamit, today, I, as I told you last week, I would love it if we can revisit forgiveness. I know we did a, had a conversation about forgiveness a few months ago, but as my level of awareness changes, you know, like you go up and down with awareness and then some events happen and there are things that you remember from conversations that suddenly make a bit more sense. For example, the first big questions for me, there are several, but the most important ones are can you forgive someone who does not acknowledge that has hurt you? And even though I'm asking this question, and I know that I am very aware now with the several times we spoke about this, that you do not forgive for the other, you forgive for yourself. The concept, I totally understand. The only problem is when I'm exercising and doing this exercise of forgiveness, I really don't mean it. I repeat constantly, I forgive her, him, they, but I really don't mean it. So do you suddenly, by repeating that, is it an exercise like the one that I love you take very often? You give me this comparison of exercising your muscle at the gym. Do you reach that stage by repeating it constantly? And can you do it without being acknowledged for your pain? This is a fantastic question. So thank you very much for that. I love your questions. Uh, they they really, you. they're exploratory, they're deeply felt, they're deeply thought out, and I, I really enjoy our conversations. Thank so you. the answer to your question is complex. The first thing is, no, you don't 
engage that muscle simply by repetition. Because if there is no struggle in the effort to engage the right muscle, and I'm talking, of course, of emotional muscles here, then that muscle will not grow. It's a bit like going to the gym and picking up a one kilo weight or not even that, a 10 gram weight and lifting it many times. Oh, I lifted it 500 times, Shomit, but I'm not getting any muscles. But you're lifting a one gram weight. It's not going to do anything. It's not repetition that's the key. It's the active engagement at three level. First is to really, really try to get to the bottom of doing it from the heart and really meaning it rather than simply mouthing the words, right? Now, I know that you don't simply mouth the words, but I'm saying that for the sake of clarity. If I repeat, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you 5,000 times, it doesn't happen. If I just say it once, deeply felt, I thought about it, I really have come to terms with what happened and I forgive you. If I say it from the bottom of my heart and I really struggle to say it from the bottom of my heart only once, no repetition, that will engage the muscle. Whereas simply, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, doesn't, doesn't engage anything. So that's the first thing. You've got to try and do it really from the heart and explore. Am I doing it from there? And I can tell by your question that you do explore that. But that exploration gives the lie to the repetition model. The repetition model doesn't really count. Mm. Repetition is good, provided you're doing the right thing. So going to the gym is good, provided I'm lifting the appropriate weight. So that's the first point. Mm-hmm. The second point is, when we get stuck, I can't do it, you said. I, it doesn't happen. I can't do it. Then we need to examine that. We need to explore what is it that is preventing me, right? So in the story that you told about, in, in the model that you gave about the person not acknowledging it, there was still an external element. You weren't. You said to me, What I have said before, we've talked about this, that forgiveness is for you. It's not for the other person. It's really to get the that that rucksack full of rocks on your back off your back. But the Mm -hmm. moment you say, I need external acknowledgement, it's no longer about you in that sense. It's not a pure act, me for me. It Mm -hmm. now involves the other person. There's a dependence on the other person. And the moment there's a dependence on the other person, you're weak. Because if the other person doesn't acknowledge it, you keep carrying the burden. I should have enough self-possession to be able to get rid of the rocks that I don't want to carry anymore without any reference to the outside world. The moment my peace of mind is dependent on someone else, I'm a victim of that someone else. All right? Yeah. Or, Or I am potentially in their hands. So that second point is, I really examine what is getting in the way. And there could be a number of different things getting in the way. In the example you gave me, what was getting in the way is, but the other person doesn't acknowledge. And the answer to that is, you don't need the other person. You do it for yourself, right? And then the third level is, when you actually do it, then the need for the other person, the need for all that just doesn't happen. And here the model is this. And I think I've done this with you before. In any conflict situation, there's an external element, the other person, and an internal element, my own misgivings, my own fears, whatever it is. It takes two to tangle. So what we do when we unilaterally forgive, and it has to be unilateral, is we go to an altogether higher place. 
So if they acknowledge or don't acknowledge, if they whatever, they can be flapping around, but there's no conflict. Just like it takes two hands to clap. If I take one hand out of the way, which is my internal paradigm, then the external paradigm can be what it is. Those hands are not going to clap. There's not going to be any conflict. I'm not going to get hurt. So three mm -hmm. clear stages to that, which turn on this principle. Really do it. Don't just repeat blindly. Second, if you can't really do it, examine why you're not really being able to do it and get rid of that. That's where someone like me can help because I can point out what you're doing. You know, It's just like a trainer in the gym saying, yes, you're lifting that weight, but you're not really engaging that muscle because your body is not in the right position or whatever. And then the third is once, you've, once you're able to remedy that in the second step, you'll find it gives the lie to the whole process. You're in a much higher order of being and you're in peace, and the external world, the other person, just doesn't matter anymore. Okay. Two things in response to, to these three great elements. One of them is, do you think it helped to, to be aware that the person or the group of persons you are willing to forgive, if you will realize and have the awareness of them acting from a place of being wounded themselves, is it helpful to, to forgive when you, you know that they are in a place of suffering when they hurt you? Again, a very good question. And the answer is yes, but yes plus plus. What is yes plus plus? Yes plus plus is when first principle actually is, in my experience, and this will sound very simplistic to people, but I've had many years of experience with this, is when people are nasty to you, it's usually because they're in a place of a person who's completely contented, happy bunny, you know, life is sweet, they're wise, joyful. They have no reason to hurt you. Okay. You notice that from your own yeah, self. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I notice it from my exactly. own self. So why would you hurt anybody? The, 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 the need doesn't arise. So usually yeah. we hurt people for a number of reasons. I know this is not contained in your question, but it's interesting. So let me just get into that for a little bit. I'll just touch on it. One is if I feel low, if I feel down, if I feel inadequate, and you're flying high, then I may want to pull you down so that I can feel good. Right? Now you're under me. Mm. Or I go to the office and my boss shouts at me and I feel small. And then I come home and I kick the dog. Now I feel big again because, you know, the boss shouted at me. I felt small. I balance myself out by kicking the dog. Look at me. I'm so powerful. Whatever. I'm giving you silly examples, but you see what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when someone is nasty to you, the first thought, if you can get to this place, it's lovely, is it's they are suffering. This is not, you know, it's not about me. It's about them. <laughs> they are suffering, right? And what they've done is they've made me the scapegoat, <laughs> you know, to boost themselves because they're in a bad place. This second step here is, first is the realization they're in a bad place. But then the second step is not even forgiveness. It, why did I say forgiveness plus, plus, plus? Because it's not forgiveness. What you can have then is compassion. And compassion is mm -hmm. even greater than forgiveness because forgiveness is still, you did a bad thing and I forgive you because you hurt me. Compassion is, forget hurting me. I'm not even getting hurt. You're the one who's hurting. So I... I give you love and compassion, okay? And, but that love and compassion has to be given from a strong place because what you can't be 
is giving love and compassion from a weak place because you'll get them to be, hurt you even more because you're being weak, you see, because you'll trigger their power complex. So compassion is even greater than forgiveness. And the moment you perceive you're in a bad place. Can I tell you a lovely story about this? It's a, yes, please. I don't know whether you know this person called Bruno Bettelheim. He, I think he survived the concentration camps. He set up a home for you know, kids who had survived the concentration camps and so on. And many of them were very mentally disturbed and so on. And many of them, you know, he taught them and so on. And some of them became very successful in later life. And one of those people was interviewed. And he told the story of a formative experience in his childhood when he was a teenager and quite a big, tough guy. And he was in the kitchen of this home. And he saw there was a knife, a kitchen knife. And he just, he says, I don't know what possessed me. I just grabbed the knife and went to stab Bettelheim. And Bettelheim just put his arms around this fellow, disarmed him, but very firmly hugged him and said, I'm so sorry, I should never have left that knife lying around. It's a beautiful moment because here the boy is the aggressor, but Bettelheim's reaction is, you're doing this because of your pain. I'm so sorry, I should not have given you away. And that boy just burst out crying at that point. And he just said, my life was changed. This man, I could have stabbed him. And he was only thinking of me. So do you see, this is beyond forgiveness. It's not forgiveness. This is love. That's incredible. So am I right to, to think that if you manage to have compassion, you automatically yeah. are in forgiveness? Oh, absolutely. It's much bigger. Than but that. it's not the, the other way around doesn't. Yeah. 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 The yeah. other way around does not work this way because, because of your point number two. I guess the point number two is why can't I forgive? Maybe one of the answer is I, I'm, I don't have enough compassion. Yes. See, you mentioned forgiveness. So I took you through the route of forgiveness. Yes. But a more direct route and a more transcendent route is just to have love. And yeah. In Buddhism, for example, they don't talk very much of forgiveness. They talk a great deal about love and compassion because it's a more direct answer. Yeah. In a way, this is like many things in spirituality. There is a diversion of, I want to say, truth, because people focus on forgiveness, 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 when if you focus on compassion, yeah, you just have it all sorted. Yeah. This goes back to something we talked about the last time, and the person who offends you is then is, is, brings greater benefit to you than the person who is loving because it gives you an opportunity to practice compassion where it's difficult to practice it. So it's like the heavier weight in the gym. As opposed to someone who loves you, you can practice compassion with them. It's easy. Yeah, of course. Another aspect is in this triumvirate of forgiveness, compassion. But the other thing here, which we haven't mentioned, which I'd like to bring into this is gratitude. So I am grateful to you for having done something that makes me practice my compassion at a higher degree. So I see the benefit of the person who is hurt. Yeah, wow, because this is so hard. I don't think I'm only speaking for me, but um, I think many people find it quite challenging to, to start being grateful to the person who hurt you the most. But I know that you can reach that stage. I know because of witnessing many people talking about it, even for people who have been hurt much more than the average person being hurt, like 
you know, when I'm, I'm speaking about being abused or raped or really this kind of forgiveness takes, I'm sure you agree that the, the level to reach that compassion and forgiveness is much harder, won't you say, than just having to forgive someone who stole something from you? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. But it's a worthwhile aspiration. Let's be less focused on absolute achievement. Let's be more focused on the aspiration and baby steps in the direction of that achievement. So every time you're able to do it and practice that a little bit, you've got that little bit more peace. Yeah. It's not like an achievement externally for which you'll get a medal. You'll get more peace. But notice that historically, we've always hugely respected people who are able to do that. And the examples that come to mind are people like Nelson Mandela or Gandhi in India. I think perhaps on an earlier podcast, I can't remember, I told the story of Gandhi advising this person whose son had been killed yeah. by in the Hindu Muslim riots in India. And he says, you're a Hindu, adopt a little boy who's the same age as the boy of your son who was killed. But you're a Hindu, make sure the boy you, you adopt is a Muslim. Wow, yeah. So we recognize the aspiration. Mm. We recognize that it's a worthwhile aspiration. So let's take whatever steps we can in that direction. We don't have to get all the way there and forgive the axe murderer all at once. We don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. We can just take little steps and, and practice this. The further we go along that road, the more at peace we are. Yeah. There is an exercise that you have been teaching me from the very beginning of our, our sessions is to be the observer of what's happening in my life. I think that has helped a lot in my level of awareness, you know, because the, the more you're aware of what's happening and that we are really living, I mean, in my simple words, I'm going to say we're just observing a play happening like we don't, if we manage to not identify with this person that you're observing suffering, I think you reach the level of compassion much uh, easier than, than if you are entangled in the play. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a very big and very profound point, And it takes, it's very counterintuitive. So it's very difficult to get your head around. But a lot of the big spiritual teachings in the, way, in the East, have, within the Hindu structure, within the Buddhist structure, have to do with precisely this. Yeah. In, in the Buddha says, I am awake, which implies that everyone else is asleep. So what they're mm -hmm. seeing in their sleeping state is, of course, has the status mm -hmm. of a dream. Two orders of reality, dream reality, real reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Krishna in, in, in the Bhagavad Gita says to Arjun, you know, you're, you're being squeamish about the battle that you've got because mm -hmm. you're taking it to be real. Mm -hmm. It is like a drama. You know, so again, two levels of reality, a drama reality, you know, a real reality. So why does a drama reality help? A drama reality helps because we don't get sucked in. We can feel, but we don't get sucked in. Yeah. Just like when you're watching a real play, you don't run onto the stage and prevent the people, you know, killing each other on, mm -hmm. on the stage because you know that it's just a play. But nevertheless, you do feel it. So similarly, what we're trying to get to is a place where we feel we're not ro robots, but we don't get sucked into that reality. Mm -hmm. Now, it's important to make the point that this is not just 
a contrivance. It's not just a device that makes you feel a little detached and so better able to cope with reality and better able to be compassionate. It's not just a device. The Buddha would claim, and his, te- his followers would claim, and the, the, the teachers of Vedanta would claim that that is the true status of reality. It is, and it's very telling that in a lot of recent uh, physics, when I say recent, I mean over uh, many years, many decades. Yeah. I don't mean just in the last few years. Uh, there's been a lot of work in physics around this. Mm-hmm. One of Stephen Hawking's last papers was to do with this holographic nature of reality, that it's not, there's an emanation from another deeper level of reality that we don't see. Yeah. There's a physicist that I follow called Carlo Rovelli, who's writing at the moment. And he, uh, in fact, very interestingly, in one of his most recent books, I think it came out a couple of years ago, said, we've come to this understanding that there is no objective reality, that reality is entirely relational and, 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 yeah. and so on, through mathematics and physics. But why haven't any of the philosophers in, the, in history ever come across this? Uh, you know, why haven't they chanced upon this understanding? And he, in his book, has a whole chapter on Buddhism saying, so I went researching and I found, no, the Buddhists have been talking about this since the time of the Buddha. Yeah. And he quotes from Aryanigarjuna, who is, is a, one of the great Buddhist teachers from long, long ago. And he has a huge analysis of Nigarjuna saying what we have now come to through an understanding of physics is something that Buddhists have been talking about for a long time, which has to do with this. There is, And it's so difficult to get your head around. Mm-hmm. There is no objective reality. It's a subjective construct, mm-hmm. like a dream. You know? So if in a dream the tiger is chasing you yeah. and you wake up, uh, you realize, okay, it was just a dream. The fear subsides. In yeah. the dream you were scared, but in but in the reality, when you come out yes. of the dream, you're all right. Mm-hmm. Similarly, when you practice this and you have to reach these stages only through meditation, yes, you get to that place where that person who's the aggressor is aggressor within the dream reality. So I don't really have to be scared. Mm-hmm. Now, this is very difficult to get your head around and it takes a lifetime of meditation and all that to do that. But again, it's an aspiration. And the more steps we take along that line, the more at peace we are. And I just one last point before that. In the Buddhist structure, none of this is clairvoyant. None of this is inspirational. None of this is about belief that someone said it and I believe it. Yeah. It's all extremely rationally argued. So when I study Buddhism, a whole paper yeah. is on logic, on the study of syllogisms and subjects and predicates and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because they are very big on very rigorous arguments. So there's nothing mumbo jumbo and weird about it. This is the sad part for me because so little, so few people know about that. So they tend to judge all this practice and belief as in, you know, not not really rational. But actually, people like yourself who really study it, I don't think they it's spoken enough about, you know, of the yeah. Because actually, I think I've commented to you that. This five-year master's in Buddhism that I'm in the middle of at the moment, yeah. it's, it's the single hardest thing I've ever done intellectually. Yeah. And I've done lots of sort of funky things uh-huh. intellectually, but it's the hardest thing by far. It's mind-bending because you have to be intellectually extremely rigorous. And if you talk of this, my uh, teacher talks about the life of the monks in the monasteries. In debate, there are debates and you have to prove your position. You've got to hold your position. And of course, the, the person questioning you says, no, 
there's a contradiction there internal contradiction internal contradiction mm. you know so it's all to do with the form of argument and so on you have to be totally rigorous none of this is by belief or by clairvoyance or none of that yeah or by feeling no no it's nothing like that no intuition feeling it is rigorously argued which is why robelli who's a hard-bitten physicist is so enamored of nikarjuna because nikarjuna is very rigorous in the way these things are set up mm-hmm. in as mm-hmm. rigorous intellectually defensible philosophical positions as opposed to just you know god has said and therefore yeah shomit my next question is i've been carrying this over since i was probably 12 years old i grew up with a um, a really dear dear friend of mine who was in school with me and she grew up in a very complex family dynamic and she has been nearly forced actually forced by the school to see a therapist to discuss you know all her issues at home etc and she stayed in therapy until we became adult and when she reached adulthood she came one day and told me my therapist taught me how to forgive and i think i'm i'm now happy where i am i feel that i forgave my parents i forgave my family but they also told me that i have to cut them off my life and that really i don't know i just sat i remember not commenting because i didn't feel strong enough in my opinion to to argue what her therapist was telling her but there was a very strong objection in my heart like how can you forgive and cut someone off completely it, it just one is canceling the other in my head and i kept it and i thought one day somebody will answer me and i think maybe it's you today yeah 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 your instinct is absolutely right forgiveness and cutting off seem to be consistent but actually deep down they are mutually exclusive why do they seem to be consistent because just like i said forgiveness is taking the rocks off your back mm-hmm. cutting off is also making sure that rocks don't come back right yes so they seem that's why the therapist would have said cut them off as well so forgive them that wipes out the past i'm saying it simply and then cut them out so that they don't there's no you know further problem going forward but what it leaves us uh, leaves out and this is your you know your point is love what mm-hmm. we've been talking about in compassion and and love and compassion is about building a relationship right mm-hmm. however i will say that there are stages to this it depends on the circumstances so if the parents are really awful so if the father for example beat her yeah. and stuff like that and was likely to continue to beat her then common sense says yes you do have to cut them out you know right it's because you can't manage that you you know there, there is no merit in going there and getting beaten up again and going there and forgiving them and getting so there is some i'm not going to rubbish what the therapist said but what you want to be able to do is to get to that place that we've just talked about of love in your heart and ideally if you can exercise that love in person usually but not always it has the effect of mellowing the position of the person because something happens in the dynamic between the two so if she was to actually develop a new found relationship from a place of strength i always say 
from a place of strength. A lot of the talk around forgiveness, love, compassion, gratitude comes from a place of weakness, you know. Yeah. If you go weakly and say, I forgive you, you'll get beaten up again. But if you go from a place of great strength, then the aggressor, A, respects the power. We all have an instinct that respects power. We, we just know. This is an ancient programming. If someone's strong, we know we can recognize yeah. it because it's a survival strategy, right? But we also have an instinct that recognizes love. And if you embody both, then it is possible, though not always possible, to build a relationship which is founded on something deeper, which is a newfound respect, a newfound equation where love can flow. Yeah. Always good to aspire to that. But I can't comment on this particular case because, of course, if the father is a raving alcoholic and beating you to pulp, then you stay clear of it. I mean, there's... I omit to mention that there was none of that. It was yeah, purely, yeah, yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I'm just making the point that a certain amount of common sense has to prevail as well. Yeah. But your instincts is absolutely right. And I always feel, go for broke. You know, try mm -hmm. it. Try loving. Mm -hmm. Try from a strong place. Try loving beyond forgiveness mm -hmm. and build a relationship afresh. And at the very least, you will have given them some love And that is just a good thing to have done mm -hmm. in life. If they don't have the tools whereby they can receive it, if they continue to be abusive, then you've got to stay away. Some of us have this, how can I say this, uh, like it's our program to learn to be loving from a place of power. For some, it comes so naturally. Like I know people who are, without even trying, very kind, but when I say something, you just, as you described earlier, you just sense they mean it. You know, you, you can feel the difference between them saying that and somebody else, you know, like really trying. So these two different kind of people are clearly here to practice different things. You know, we are all here to practice things, to become stronger at something. And for those who don't have this naturally to be empowered and, and speak and act from a place of power, do you have any like reminder each time? Like, how do we know when we are slipping back into weakness? I want to say, because I don't mind saying I feel I'm one of these people. Like, I feel very strong, but very often I feel that. I am in my natural state of kindness and loving, I tend very easily to forget myself and start to be nearly like somebody you can really treat as you want. And then I wake up. You know, I always wake up before it's really too much. But then this waking up makes me act as very aggressively. And then I lose credit because I'm too aggressive. So To stay in the middle of that line that I know very often you taught me, like, you know, you have very, very, very strong and without love and extremely loving without strength. And the point is to be in the middle, to have enough love and strength balanced. Do you have any advice on how to remember to stay in the middle? Yes. I, uh, this is, again, a very big and complex point, but I'll give you one pointer. I mean, we can talk about just this point for a yeah. whole hour. But I'll give you one point, pointer. So what is it to love from a state of power? It is to love without necessarily looking for 
it to come back. Weakness is when I love you, hoping that you love me back. You know, whereas strength is giving that love, but not necessarily hoping that uh, you love me back. It's a unilateral thing. It's 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 exactly it goes back to the first point we made. You know, forgiveness, yeah. but not necessarily with acknowledgement. But similarly here, I am strong enough in myself. I would love you to love me back. And we're not talking here about romantic love. We're talking about any kind of love. But strength is when I give you that love. And mm -hmm. if you love me back, that's great. And if you don't love me back, it's fine. But I am doing my unilateral job of loving. Just like at the start of this session, we said unilaterally forgive. Here, unilaterally love. Mm -hmm. And that is real. In Buddhism, it's called bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is universal love. And the defining attribute of bodhicitta is you're not looking for anything to come back. If it comes back, if you're grateful and that's nice, but you're not looking for anything to come back, that is strength. Mm. That is loving from a place of strength because the strength comes from not wanting it back. The weakness comes yeah. when I'm loving you, now I'm waiting. Are you going to love me back? That's weakness because I need it. Yeah, there's no need at all. Yeah. And again, that comes with a certain belief that you're okay no matter what, yes. whether they love you or exactly. not. The irony of that is that you are okay by virtue of loving. Because when you love in this way, when you forgive, when you are grateful, whatever it is, all those things, you are naturally in a very good place. So the yeah. funny bunny thing is you don't have to be strong in order to get to this place. When you aspire to get to this place and practice as best you can, you become strong as a result. It's the same thing. You don't have to be fit to get on the treadmill. Once you get on the treadmill, you'll get fit. Yeah. And you'll get fit in stages. Similarly here, we, you know, we get stronger in stages, but we get stronger through the practice of love. You don't need to be strong in order to practice love. Mm -hmm. Authenticity is something that is for me, very helpful to have access to when, you know, if you're able to be authentic in expressing how you're feeling with strength, with a bit of, you know, empowerment, because some, very often some situation are, you encounter people not wanting to tell you how much suffering they're going through because of an action you could have done or, you know, and it leads to a place where it's obscure, it's complicated, and where it could have been sorted by you being very authentic and straightforward about it. That's one point that I know with time has helped me being aware of it. And the other point is I used to consistently ask myself, why is this happening? Why? Why is she doing this to me? Why is he... Why did he do that? Well, how did I deserve this? How, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think releasing the why, like realizing it's also, it comes back to the session we had last week. Like, you know, you don't really need to know the, the why. It, it's not the point. And you don't need to know why to be able to forgive. Exactly same as you don't need to be acknowledged to, to, to forgive. That has helped do you often have people asking you, like, why this, this yeah. happened or insisting on knowing? Yeah. 
Yeah. I think this yeah. is a trait we all have. Yes. We have that trait because as human beings, we like to understand because when we understand, we feel we have control over things, intellectual control over things. Mm-hmm. You know, We want the world to make sense. And if something happens and we don't understand it, the world doesn't make sense and it's very disturbing. Um, you yeah. think of a little child, if the child has broken the vase and mummy is angry and mummy gets very angry and scolds the child, the child may cry, but the child's world hasn't fallen apart because the child knows the world makes sense. I broke the bars. Mummy was angry. Everything makes yeah. sense. Whereas if mummy was angry for no reason, then it's very disturbing because then I can't work out mm. why. What, what did I do? You see? So yeah. similarly, yeah. even as adults, if something happens to us and we don't know why, then we do feel a little bewildered. And people do ask me, you know, why does this happen and so on? The answer is the deep answer, which we talked about last time. I don't want to repeat all that. But the answer in within... Vedant within Buddhism and so on is karmic, is that you can't, you don't know the answer why this happened because you're looking in the unit of one life. But the thing that is now coming to you might have been a result of something that you did in a previous life and so on. And we talked about past lives last time. So when we look at it like that, then these answers are available. And of course, I do a lot of work with people to unearth these answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just for the sake of the answer, but also, interestingly, for the sake of forgiveness. So if I'm being terribly simplistic now, but if I've done something bad to someone and then that person is upset and is doing something to me now, and I did it in a past life and I don't know about it, I'm bewildered, why is this person being bad to me? And I go and see a, a therapist, you know, and then the therapist mm-hmm. says, all right, let's do a past life. And I say, oh my God, that is why, you know. So firstly, it makes sense. But secondly... It has, we have the opportunity to forgive and be forgiven at that level. Yeah. Now, this is a very deep level, makes no sense to people who don't buy into past lives or anything like that, but it does, does work. And it is very, very powerful that we can undo some of the patterns of the past in some degree by actually confronting those people in that paradigm and just asking for forgiveness and saying, I'm really sorry, I, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, for what I've done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm never one to believe things just because people say it. I'm always one to, you know, and I've spent many, many years practicing this stuff. And it actually, when we work in that way, it does give the light to those patterns. This is the thing, the yes. proof of the pudding is in the eating. And whatever you may think theoretically about, oh, there's no evidence about this. And of course, there is a lot of evidence about this, but never mind. The fact is, when I have worked in this way, my clients have benefited enormously. And uh, there Mm -hmm. is something. So we do let the rocks go from our back. This is not the rocks in the normal sense of the term, um, because we then are able as well to forgive ourselves. And that's a very profound thing. It's, I don't know, I, I just consider myself extremely lucky to, to believe in, in this, to have this ability when I hear you speak about past lives and karma and dharma, whatever, all the subjects we we explore and talk about, there is something that it's not even, I can't reward myself for it. It's just naturally, oh yes, of course, there's this feeling of yes, that's it. And it's not because, you know, I believe everything you say. It's just so, it's, it's just so naturally in me to to uh, see this point and and accept it 
And I feel for people who are very rigid about it. No, there is no past life. There, because it, it is, un, I mean, you can't argue that. It's much more difficult for them to make sense of, of everything. There is a lot of unfairness that they probably, you know, go through. And it's the same with faith, having faith or praying or, you know, when you, when you try to forgive someone, and you go through prayer, I feel personally you reach certain level of compassion quicker. But that's a very big subject. Of course, I'm not expecting to go into that, but I just thought I, I just have to acknowledge that I have lots of compassion for people who are very rigid about not believing. I, I spoke to very very often to people who just believe you are born, you're here, you live whatever life you live, and then you're completely gone, and that's it. And that's the whole story of you. And honestly, it's something that would make me, I don't know if I can live like that, thinking that that's it. That's just the Lara story there. She's here and she's gone. And, and I know it's not because... There is someone, there is something, I don't know how to call it, that is now obviously very, more often than before, observing the Lara mm. living and playing or whatever we call it. Yeah. So hopefully that will lead me to also, you know, have more compassion and forgiveness, even towards myself, because that's a point also we didn't necessarily sp spoke about today, but there is a lot of forgiveness about oneself that is very important. Like I blame myself for so much and I've learned to also have compassion for that person I was when I acted that way, you know, and we talk about it very often, you and I, like, you know, this is what you knew best and forgiveness to ourselves is quite important, wouldn't you say? Yes. Like before. There are two points yeah. there. One is when there are people who don't share these belief systems, it's very important not to beat a drum about it. <laughs> it's very mm. important, you know, just to say, to state things in a manner that they may or may not accept, but in a manner that is approachable and reasonable and mm -hmm. so on. And then just to leave it there. And sometimes yeah. you're just planting a seed. That seed may not flower today, but that seed may flower later. So it's important to just place it there and see and be light about it. If you beat a drum about it, you put up resistance in the other person, right? Mm. So that's one way, one, one thing that I often do. I'll just put it there and see if you run with it or not. The second thing, the forgiveness of yourself is very important. But again, the love is even bigger, of course, like we said. Yeah. But if you think about it, if we can, the, the practical way to go about that is to have a learning paradigm about oneself. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't beat myself up because there was a time in my life when I didn't know my seven times tables. And at age three, if you said seven threes, yeah. I wouldn't have known what you were talking about. But then one day I learned, right? So I don't beat myself up, I learned. But mm -hmm. similarly, in adulthood, there are many things that we don't do very well. But if we are prepared to learn, then yeah. the question of forgiving, all that doesn't arise because we learn from our mistakes. We learn from things that we didn't do well previously, and we learn how to do them better. And we revel in our progress. 
So do you see that the question of forgiveness doesn't really arise? Totally. You know, why why forgive? I, 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 do I need to forgive yeah. myself that I didn't know my seven times tables at the age of three? How terrible, show me. Oh, it just is be that. aware of, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. So it takes a bit of humility as well, you know, to say, okay, mm -hmm. I'm not good at certain things, but I'm prepared to learn. And the moment you yeah. say I'm prepared to learn and you do actively set about learning, then the, all the need for forgiveness actually falls away because it's implicit. It's implied in what your progress. It's yeah. rather like having a loving teacher who's not forever pointing your mistake, but just correcting it and saying, all right, you got that spelling wrong. I'm not going to blame you for it. That's the right spelling. Practice it a few times. It'll come into your unconscious. You'll correct that spelling and you'll go on to spell that word correctly. Now, you don't mm -hmm. forgive the child for spelling that word wrong. Similarly with behavior, similarly with our belief systems and so on. As long as we can progress, the need for forgiveness doesn't arise. And then we love ourselves because we, we do that process of self-teaching in the paradigm of love. Yeah. Like a good teacher Beautiful. would be, except that we're a good teacher to ourselves. That is really key for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I yeah. keep finding myself talking about me yeah. in a blaming way. Yeah. And I'm always, it's a reminder constantly, yeah. constant yeah. reminder. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Shomet. That was really inspiring. I, as I said at the beginning, but maybe it wasn't, recorded yet. I just love my Monday mornings because it starts my week on a very good step. And all these reminders are really essential. No, thank and this you. is why well, I actually decided to share them because <laughs> yeah, I really find them absolutely. incredibly helpful. You know, so I, I you love much. our Monday mornings. I absolutely. Thank you because you ask lovely questions and they're deep and they're profound. And it, it, it helps you. me as well to touch something very fundamental, which is a good way of starting the week. You know, you touch something yes. very deep and profound and, and, and it, it gives you a good foundation for the rest of the week. So it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to my next conversation with you. Thank you so much and have a great week. And you. We all have had events or situations in our life that have really left us heartbroken or completely sitting in grief. And we all have so much to forgive. Even forgiving ourselves is a big, big chore. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and you found it very useful. As I said at the beginning, everybody at different levels have something to forgive. If it's not to ourselves, it's to someone that we really care or don't care about, but we still have been very hurt by an action or a situation that we have been involved with with them. Please share this conversation. Talk about the deeper eye with people that you know might benefit from my conversations and my discussions with these incredible and very, very useful teaching and teachers. <laughs>